Hey there, welcome to the Attractive Christians podcast, where we make Christianity a little less repulsive and a little more attractive and beautiful. I'm Annie, one of the producers. In this special episode of Attractive Christians, Ethan is joined in the studio by his grandma, Virginia Eckel, and his mom, Jan Renault. They talk about the running of the bulls, and Ethan's grandma tells her incredible testimony. As always, if you love the pod, please give us a five-star rating and leave us a review. Follow us on Instagram, TikTok, and YouTube. If you have any questions or have a suggestion for what the guys should cover on the podcast, reach out to us on Instagram or send us a Gmail. I don't Since when? Since we left the house. <laughs> <laughs> Well, we'll just see how it goes. Yeah, we will. <laughs> <laughs> so, hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Attractive Christians podcast. <laughs> this is a very special episode. Uh, you'll notice that we have two bonus guests and one minus host. Um, Tucker's wife, Anna, went into, well, they're not in labor yet, technically, but she's having contractions, which is exciting. So, maybe by the time you're listening to this, Tucker is a dad. I mean... With babe in arms. Yeah. Technically, he's been a dad, but um, he'll be able to hold his baby outside of... Yeah, you know what I mean. (laughs) Um, So that's exciting for them. So Tucker's not here tonight, Um, but instead, we have my mom. Do Do you want me to say your name? Jan. (laughs) <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay, you can say it. <laughs> Mom. Jan, Jan Renault, um, whom I affectionately refer to as Mommy. So, why are our sound effects? Oh, that's why. Oh, there's a sound effect. Okay. Uh, without Tucker, I had to run around for some technical stuff on my own, so I'm still playing a little bit of catch up. And to our my left, we have my grandma. You can say, say hi. Yeah. Hi. <laughs> uh, Grams, or as I call her, Garms, or Grandma, or Jenny. You do not call her Jenny. No, I don't. She's just, that's her name. Oh, I'm yes. just saying her name. Virginia. What's your middle name? Ann. Really? Uh-huh. See, first thing you've learned about me this evening is my middle name. Wow. <laughs> Yeah, so this is going to be a good episode. I'm already learning so much about my own uh, heritage. (laughs) (laughs) I didn't know there was an Anne in my family, but now I do. So thanks for being here, both of you. This was kind of a last-minute change, obviously, since Tucker just texted me like an hour ago that the contractions were happening. But uh, we're going to have fun with it. We're going to roll with it. I think it'll be a great episode. The Renault Takeover. (laughs) The Renault slash Eckle. Because my grandma's last name is Eckel. Takeover. So uh, let's move into the first section we normally do, the Rex. Run, 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 Rex. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> so uh, do, you, do you both have recommendations for things that you've been watching or listening to or movies, TV, reading for books, Grams? What have you been reading lately that you'd like to recommend? Books by Jill Eileen Smith. She has um, an opportunity out there for folks who are interested in the historical fiction, biblical historical fiction. And she has written books about uh, biblical characters. And um, she enlarges the scope of your listening to uh, enhance the character in such a way that it really makes a uh, the storyline interesting, fuller, uh, more relevant to uh, today's world so that there is no boredom. It just um, It's just interesting and uh, fascinating to see how exciting scripture can be. Wow, you just had that right on the top of your head, locked and ready to go. <laughs> Were you prepared for that? I was not prepared for that, but that is what I've been reading. Oh. And uh, so that's what you asked. Yeah, see, look how well you've been doing already, Aww, right? R- rolling off the top of your head. <laughs> nice. And mommy? Well, I don't read, really. 
That could be anything that you want to recommend at all. Okay, so if you go to Sarasota, Florida, <laughs> if you go to Sarasota, <laughs> Florida, there's a place you can ride horses on the beach. And Aww. we're going in March, and I'm pretty excited. So if you ever make it down there, there's a place. Awesome. I know. Ride what's, horses in the water. What's the name of the place? Beach Rescue Horses or something. <laughs> Sarasota Beach Horses. Something rescue like that. Horses. <laughs> yeah, they're rescue horses, and you, you can do all sorts of things in the water and... Oh, that's really nice. What, know, does rescue, what did they rescue them from? I don't know. Like knights? Okay. I, <laughs> I didn't read the background. I'm just stoked that I get to go ride a horse on the beach. Also, well, I really enjoyed the bear on, what was it, Netflix? Hulu. Hulu. Yeah. That was really good. Yeah. What did you like about it? I like the family interaction. You know, the, they're Italian, right? Aren't they Italian? Yeah. Yeah, that whole... Italian interaction, the family, the love-hate. You always love them, but sometimes it looks like you hate them. Yeah, like watching it, it seems like they hate each other, Mm -hmm. and then they'll like hug and be like, I love you guys. Yeah, they slap each other around a little bit. Yeah, lots of F-bombs. Uh-huh. Yeah. But you know I love you. (laughs) I don't know. It was really good, and it was really interesting to see behind the scenes as a chef and that world. Pretty intense. Yeah. Yeah, it was super well made. I know a lot of people who have seen it by now and everyone loves it, except that one episode. That one episode. Yeah, that you forced me to watch. Well, it's part of it. It just shows the family dynamic in a deeper, richer, more horrific way. Yeah. But uh, it's pretty bad. Yeah. Because like if you've seen the show, you know the episode we're talking about with the family, the Christmas dinner Mm -hmm. episode. Where it's just chaotic. And I watched the first five minutes yeah. and turned it off because I was like, I, I get the gist. The kind of blood pressure goes up while you watch this episode. <laughs> yeah. And so I just skipped it. And my mom and brother gave me the hardest time for <laughs> skipping it and watching the whole rest of the two seasons. And and so my mom forced me to watch it. So her and my dad and I all watched it together. And by the end, my dad and I said, uh, yeah, I don't know if that was necessary. <laughs> <laughs> and you both kind of went away traumatized. I don't but, know about traumatized, but, is, but more just like, I didn't need that stress in my life. Exactly. Okay, that. For sure. That's yeah. Fair. But I got it anyway. Yeah. So. You're welcome. <laughs> yeah. You know, it was a big part of the show, the family dynamic. But anyway. Yeah. Aside from that. With John Bernthal throwing the fork at the other guy. Right. Because wasn't the name of the episode, was it Forks or Fishes? Oh, Because oh, Fishes. No, yeah. Forks was the one where he's washing the forks. Yeah. Right. Oh. Yeah. Without. Right. Yeah. That was a good show. It was. Anyway. Anyway, I have not been really watching much lately. Well, I rewatched um, Boondock Saints last night, and I told you at dinner mm-hmm. that it it was, like, good. Like, I think previously I gave it four stars. Now I give it three and a half. So it's, like, still pretty good, but, like, it didn't hold up as well as I remembered. So my real wreck, I guess I'll just do an all-time wreck for tonight which is the brothers bloom it's my favorite movie of all time i have a tattoo for it on my ankle or my shin and it's just the perfect film there's action adventure romance comedy existential undertones symbolism that underlies the entire plot it's just so perfectly made it's so symmetrical like how the first shot is the sunrise and the last shot is a sunset and it's just poetic and perfect but also hilarious. And I love it. They travel the world. They're con men. There's two brothers who are con men, and they just live in this kind of poetic world where it's whimsical and adventurous, and they're traveling. And I saw it in high school when it first came out, and I've loved it ever since then. That's really good to hear from you, because every time you say it's your favorite movie of all, or your favorite film of all time, I think, eh. But that makes it more interesting. You know, right. It begins with sunrise. It ends with the sunset. Poetic travel. Yeah, that well, makes you, it more intriguing last, to me. When was the last time you watched it? Mm, 20 years ago. <laughs> 20? <laughs> <laughs> a long time ago. Really? Okay. Maybe you just need to rewatch it. Maybe so. Because it's so good. It's one of those. Yeah, it's so good. And if you are familiar with like, they re- like a lot of it is they reference Dostoevsky. Not Tchaikovsky. What's the other one? They, a lot of the characters are based on characters in James Joyce's book, Ulysses. So it's like really rich the, the deeper you dig into it. And the more often you see it. 
Yeah, yeah. The, well, yeah. Of course, the more I've seen yeah. it, I'm like, oh, I didn't notice that before. Oh, there's foreshadowing there. Oh, this shot was super cool. It's Ryan Johnson's second film, and he has gone on to make much bigger movies. But for some reason, nobody knows about The Brothers Bloom. Like he directed Knives Out, the Knives Out oh, right. movies, mm-hmm. Looper, Breaking Bad, Star Wars: The Last Jedi. But nobody knows this movie, even though it has Mark Ruffalo, Adrian Brody, and Rachel Wise in it. Big actors. So, I yeah. didn't remember Mark Ruffalo. I didn't know that. He was he's in that he's one. one of the two brothers. Oh. Yeah. So, The Brothers Bloom, my favorite movie of all time. We'll do an all-time wreck tonight. <laughs> okay. So, should we move on, move on to some headlines? I just have one that Tucker sent me. So, we'll move on to that right now. Headlines. Oh, I just realized I didn't thank Annie and Mark, our producer and editor, which I know we normally do at the very beginning. So shout out to Annie and to Mark for editing and producing this podcast for us. And shout out to Tucker, who's normally here, as well as Jules and Krista, who are normally here as well, uh, filming, taking the videos for us that we use. <laughs> are you just fading away over the ground? I'll just talk right into the microphone. Do you have any jokes for us? <laughs> uh, you're talking to the wrong person. No, no, no. Grams is one of the funniest people I know. We're just saying a lot because I know a lot of funny people. Um, but she's being shy tonight. She's being shy. Yeah. I have no jokes. No. <laughs> <laughs> I have no jokes. <laughs> we could we could record this at dinner sometime and then the, then grandma would be funny. Yeah, she just drops these witty one-liners on us out of the blue when we're eating dinner. We should just be eating and loosening up a little bit. Or maybe we should have given you a little um <laughs> a little port. A little <laughs> loosened you up a little bit. I think we're going off script here. <laughs> <laughs> there is no script, Garms. Anyway, what do you two know about both bullfighting and running with the bulls? Nothing. I know it's dangerous, and I would never do it. Which one? Both of them? Yeah. But, okay. okay, so what's the headline? Well, do you know anything about them? Well, don't they all just, all these people crowd in the streets, and then the bull, they let the bulls out, and the people run and try not to get trampled? Yeah. For the running, Yeah. So I'll give you a little background, and this is actually super weird, that yesterday I just happened to be researching the running with the bulls, and then today for his for his headline, Tucker sent me a headline about bullfighting, and I was like, what are the chances of what that? What are the odds? Out of everything in the universe to be researching, <laughs> we both <laughs> found stuff about bullfighting. I was specifically researching the Pamplona's running with the bulls. Turns out lots of cities do runs with bulls, but that's just the most famous one in oh, Spain. Really? Yeah. Are they all in Spain? No, there's some in England or, or England. were. Some of them don't happen anymore. Oh. Like they used to do it in the 18 to 1900s oh, and okay. they faded out or something. Uh, then there's the Pamplona one. So a couple fun facts that I remember from yesterday, just going off the top of my head. Only 15 people have ever died in the Pamplona running with the bulls. And how many years has that been running? Going? Oh, I want to say since the 1800s at some oh, point. So so over a century to only have 15 deaths is actually pretty good. Sounds <laughs> good unless you're one of the 15. Well, uh, but thousands of people member. run every year. So yeah. there's thousands every yeah. year for over a century and only fi- and it said 14 were gored and one was oh. crushed. And, oh, gosh. <laughs> so, <laughs> and apparently about 50 people a year get gored but survive. So, so that's not that bad. You know? <laughs> if you're talking about... Always the guy with the glass half full. Yeah, and the body more than half full of blood still because I haven't <laughs> run with the bulls. But it made me more... Te- I'm like, hmm, please don't. Just for please a bucket don't. list thing. Hmm. Just to, I mean, hey, 15 out of like, what, 10,000? Tell me when it's over. <laughs> I don't want to know when you're doing it. I'll say, mommy, I'm going to Spain. No. For no reason. Just and to... then I'll know. <laughs> <laughs> and you know you can't not say something. Yeah, true. Mm-hmm. I don't know if I actually would. Apparently there's a tradition, like there's not a uh, dress code, but traditionally everybody wears all white with a red with cummerbund. A red sash or something. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, and this is the crazy thing. 
um, that I th- was like, surprised by this. Uh, it's from where they store the bulls or where they live mm-hmm. or something from a pen, some kind of pen to the stadium where they're going to have the bull fight that evening later is where they run to and from, from and to, right? So Mm -hmm. from where they're stored, kind of, Mm -hmm. (laughs) to the stadium or whatever. How long do you think that run is in minutes? How long do you think it takes beginning to end? Huh, I've never thought about it. I hadn't either. And what did you find when you researched it? Well, what's your guess? Half a mile. So, like, how long would you say it lasts in minutes? 20 minutes. Okay. I was going to say 10. I think it's pretty quick. Yeah, it's two and a half minutes. <gasps> oh, really? The word. entire run. Oh, my goodness. And there's about six bowls, two and a half minutes. Uh, I can't remember exactly how, the distance. I could have looked this up. But, yeah, two and a half minutes. All that carnage in two and a half minutes. <laughs> oh, but they do it every day for a week for the for this one special Once celebration. A day? Um, I think so. Because then there's about six bulls that run, and then they bullfight them in the evening. And this is leading up to the headline that Tucker sent. Yes. Do you know what bullfighting is? Well, I mean, I know what I've seen. But did you know that every time there's a bullfight, the bull dies? No. No. Yeah, because this is why it's messed up, actually. I learned this a couple years ago, listening to a podcast about it, that every time that he waves the flag and he has a sword, right? So if he gets the bull to run by him, then he like slices its side and it can last for like an hour or however long, and however long it takes for him to cut the bull enough mm. that he like bleeds out. Why do they oh. do that? That's always what bullfighting has been. <laughs> I don't know. And it's then either th- you or the bull. Yeah. And I think they eat it but afterward. why do they do that? Where did it come from? Oh, uh, I don't know. There's a big history of bullfighting. Oh, poor bull. Yeah, I know. That's pretty messed up, right? Yeah, I feel sad. They either stab it or slice it as it runs by. I just thought it was like a performance thing and they get out there and wave their red cloth and Yeah, that's what I thought everybody too. Everybody goes home. Like See, the, I did Looney, it. the Looney Tunes version of it. Right. Like wave wiggle 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 wiggle. <laughs> whoosh. Oh, he missed me. You know. <laughs> right. So it's not bullfighting, it's bull dodging. Is what I thought it was. Turns out no, it's pretty cruel it's to pretty the animals. Like bull killing. Yeah. Um, Not only the killing, but it's like torturing. Yeah. Like imagine if you died by being sliced open with small slices all over. So is that the headline? Should we move on to the headline? Yeah. So the headline is there there has not been bullfighting in Mexico City for several years. It was like canceled. But now they're bringing it back and tons of people are protesting it, saying that torture should not be entertainment. What do you think about that? I agree. What do you think, Garms? Actually, I, I agree as well. Actually? Actually, yes. <laughs> okay, so we're all in agreement. Okay, there we go. Next, next headline. That's it. So, <laughs> But apparently not everybody in Mexico City agrees because, one, it's like rich in tradition, I sure. guess. And tradition. thousands and thousands of people still pay for tickets to come watch the bullfights. Sometimes is that what the bottom line is? You know? Yeah. I mean, you could make the same argument for like... I don't know, MMA, two dudes beating each other up and make millions of dollars on tickets and stuff. Of course, they're not trying to kill each other, but, you know, it's a little bit different. I think that's true. I think, you know, you hear about all those things where they hurt animals and, you know, the dog running and the chicken fighting and... Dog fighting. All that stuff. And I think it's unnecessary, but... I think that when God told us to take dominion over the earth and rule over it, this is what he meant. Oh, do you? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Do whatever we want to it Mm -hmm. with no remorse. No. um, To be honest, I'm not sure what conversation Tucker was going to have with this headline Mm -hmm. because it just seems pretty black and white to me. Like, yeah, you shouldn't bullfight. Like, if you're going to eat the meat, just kill it quickly and eat the meat. (laughs) Don't torture it for hours in front of people for entertainment. So that was the only headline we had. Any other news you guys want to discuss? <laughs> Shout out to Tucker for providing that, no, that headline was... to us. I don't have anything. Okay. All right. Then we can move on to our final section, the meat section. Meat, meat. And we got a great meat section tonight. I'm really excited for this. Basically, obviously, since we have these two very special guests in the room with us, my mom and my grandma, I wanted to ask them questions about their lives, especially my grandma and my mom. She's saying no and rolling her eyes. But, <laughs> but uh, 
just to kind of give maybe give you guys listeners a background on where I have come from, um, but especially my grandma because she has a fascinating story. Are we allowed to say your age? Sure. Uh, how old are you? <laughs> <laughs> I know you were born in 1935, but I don't remember. Wait, so that would put you at 88. Uh-huh. Going to be 89 this year in mm-hmm. June. Mm-hmm. June 9th. 27. Close. 27. <laughs> <laughs> Only off by 18. But June 27th, you'll be 89. That's pretty nuts. How do you feel being almost 89? Um, it hasn't changed anything. Uh, it's just a number. I'm really grateful that the Lord's given me this much time, especially around um, uh, my grandkids, my family. It's been really important to uh, for um, personally important. And great-grandkids. And great-grandkids. Uh-huh. Yeah. You're right. You got four of those. I do. So back up. Give us the bird's-eye view of your life story. 1935 <laughs> until now, what has changed? Oh, everything as far as um, the world has changed. I was born during the Depression, and uh, the Depression was real as well as the Holocaust, which was also going on at the same time. I had no knowledge of any of that, but... I did uh, understand the depression. Uh, it affected me immensely in that um, we were very, very poor. Even when I was a, a little child, I knew that we were poor. And um, sometimes dinners, meals consisted of water and crackers and nothing else because there was nothing else to eat. As far as... Um, How large was your family? My family, I was the oldest of seven, uh, six children and uh, we were born in a, just seven years, all six of us. So, wow. exactly. There was never really a, a time when I was a child and growing up to play and, and um, have a fun childhood. It, that wasn't a part of my, my background. I was always important to watch the other children or to take uh, more adult responsibilities. So, I think... Just seeing the difference in uh, the world and the way that my grandkids, even my children, have grown into this community of um, here in Littleton is just beautiful. I'm really glad that I have the opportunity to see all that you have and the way the Lord has um, granted you just a, a larger scope of life and of the ability to be who you are, to give you so many opportunities that were just not available to me. Yeah. Let me ask you a quick question about something you just said um, about the Holocaust. You didn't know it was going on. Was that because you were just too young? Or was, I was that too because young. Mm-hmm. I was too young. And even so, I'm not sure whether it was uh, something that anyone talked about, but it was probably beyond uh, the scope of a news concern um, when I was 10, probably in 1945, it was just becoming available to um, uh, the world to really gain knowledge intimately about that situation in um, Germany and in in Europe, basically mm. in, in Europe. So I'm glad to know now about it. I'm, you know, just blown away by the evil of it. But yeah. And was that did it largely come to light because of the Nuremberg trials? Do you, mm-hmm. were you, do you remember those? I do remember them, yes, and that's probably where I learned more about them. But it became, oh, you know, it became more obvious when uh, other armies came in to overcome the German armies in the and in Poland, in all of Europe, and that was the Americans as well. And they discovered what was going and on. They discovered in there. what was going on in the, yeah. in the concentration camps, etc. Yeah. I guess I never thought about that before, really, like how, like we learn about it as history now, because I was born decades later, but like, you know, how much did you know about the Holocaust when it was actually happening? Mm -hmm. I guess I never thought about that. Mm -hmm. But you were also so young when it happened, too. I was young, and I have no idea about my parents. It was not a time when people communicated well with their children. Mm -hmm. They did not, and they would never have probably told us about such a situation. So tell me, you got married relatively young, right? And you mm-hmm. became a nurse. Yes. Tell us all all those details after you grew up. Um, yes, I did. Um, nursing was a, 
uh, important from my uh, childhood because my dad had been injured, severely injured, and uh, in the hospital for three months, not sure whether he would survive. And uh, during that time, I just determined that I would want to be in a capacity someday when I would be able to help people like my dad. And so nursing was always my future as far as I was concerned. And I did um, go to nursing school. I graduated early from high school and uh, began a nursing program when I was just 17. So I was truly out of my element. There was so much that I learned in that during that uh, period of time that I would never have learned if I had stayed at home or if I had been in another environment of learning because um, we were, as I said, a poor family and there were no opportunities for books and anything other than just regular school. Um, school. I'm doing a lot of umming here. <laughs> it's That's okay. A lot of, just a lot of school learning. So when I finally was able to go to the University of Buffalo, it was um, a time of immense change for me. So how, how were you able to go? Did you... Yes, I'd be glad to tell you about that. <laughs> when I was 11, I was hit by a truck. And um, so s most of uh, the injuries from that truck accident were uh, pretty severe. And at that time, you know, there was no insurance types of things and, and uh, that available for um, injuries. No one had car insurance. There would be no nothing in that regard. However, for some reason, and again, it was a lack of communication on my parents' part to me and my lack of understanding that I could actually ask questions and perhaps uh, have information from them, but $700 was left out of uh, whatever finished paying for my hospitalization and uh, all the other responsibilities in my care. So that $700 my dad said was uh, for me to use to go to school, to college, mm. when it was time for me to do that. Oh, wow. I never thought that it would be available to me. I thought, sure, that someone would use it yeah. uh, instead. But he said, no, it was locked in place for uh, me and mm. for my future. So I did go to school at the University of Buffalo for a nursing program, and uh, the tuition was $700, just exactly. Oh, wow. So... That was amazing. And at the time, I didn't realize that that was God's providence, but it was. Mm -hmm. And so because of that, I'm so pleased that not that the accident happened, but that, you know, the the funds were there. It would never, ever have happened. Yeah. I would never have been able to afford to go. So do you recommend getting hit by a truck as a means <laughs> of paying for tuition? <laughs> as an interesting and funny ha-ha question, no, no. <laughs> It's followed me all the days of my life, that that um, accident, and absolutely not. But, you know, it did give me this opportunity because from there I grew into other... Um, you mean being on the Attractive Christians podcast? <laughs> well, there we are. This is the culmination of life for me, being on this broadcast. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't disagree. Get hit by a truck and you too could be on the Attractive Christians podcast. <laughs> And I thought this was a serious program. I did. Grams, it's called the Attractive Christian Podcast. <laughs> there you go. That's as serious as it gets. Um, yeah. Anyway. <laughs> no, I don't. <laughs> you don't what? Recommend I don't recommend it, no. Uh -uh. Zero out of five does not recommend getting hit by a truck. <laughs> so tell us a little bit about what it was like in nursing school back in the... 50s. Four, four. It was, yeah, it was the 50s, 50s. when I was, and what, mm -hmm, I was there. What are like the top three differences from then <laughs> till today? Well, she I hasn't mean, been in nursing school. Well, no, in nursing recently. itself. Uh, in nursing itself? Yeah, there's some major differences. There are definitely majors. Course, oh, my gracious. Um, the difference in um, just medicine is absolutely awesome. I am so proud of the medical community and the way that uh, they have uh, developed everything, absolutely everything. I, it was just a nominal kind of health care when I was a student, but now it's it's overwhelmingly intimidating in many ways, and yet um, just so many advantages for 
other folks who are involved in uh, nursing programs or in nursing itself. It's very techy, and um, yet it's also um, so beneficial to um, know of, of the uh, advances in uh, medicine. It's a beautiful thing. Yeah. So now the big question, how did you come to know Jesus, and what was that like for you? Uh, when I was about four, I was reading already. There wasn't much in our house to read, but there was this book that I picked up one day, and I saw that in the beginning of the the storyline, in the very beginning of the book, it said, in the beginning, God. And um, so I took the book to my mother and asked her who God was and how I could, what could I know more about him? And she said, no, we don't talk about God here. And the only way that you're going to find out who he is, is to go to church. And Wait, said, why did she say that they don't talk about God at home? Well, it wasn't, a, it wasn't a Christian home and it wasn't something that was comfortable for my parents. So they didn't. What did they believe? I have no idea. Oh, were at, they atheists? That, no, I, I don't think so. Or? No, I don't think so. You can toss those terms around, but they don't, did, don't apply to who my dad and mom were. I think that they were so busy just living through this horrible time of depression and just um, really struggling to stay afloat, more or less. So they they didn't communicate. Those kinds of things were probably at the bottom of their list to uh, converse about. But uh, when I asked her and she told me that I had to go to church from there on, I was always looking for a church. I didn't know what that was either, but my mother said that it was a building that, uh, where I would find God. Like so, when you were four? When I was four. So when I was six, I was walking to um, church about three miles and I had we had gone by this building that my dad said as we drove by one day that it was a church and I knew how to get there and so one day on a Sunday I um, cut out of bed and um, put on my my raggedy dress and my hair was uncombed and I walked those three miles to that building and uh, I sat there and I think this is interesting because I have more to say about it than most um, other things I might tell you. But um, I went into the building and uh, everyone was dressed nicely and I sat in the very last pew and uh, listened for a little while and I was waiting to see if I could see who maybe God might be in there. And this man came to me dressed in a suit and he was an older man and he said little girl where is your where are your parents and i said they're home and he said um, you should go home and be with them you can't stay here and so uh, he sort of led me out of the church and i couldn't um, stay there in that church to find god but i was still always looking for him after that and um um, it wasn't until I was about 10 and a friend of mine from school invited me to youth programs at her church. And then from there, someone in the church, I know it had to be someone from the church who paid my way to a summer camp where a Christian camp, actually, because my parents would never have been able to do that. And um, I was sitting in this old building with bleachers in it. And uh, I was sitting at the top row with other friends. And there was a man down at the bottom on the stage. And he, he was saying something like, if you want to know who Jesus is, God's son. And I said, God, yes, that's what I want to. Um, I want to know. So I jumped out of my seat and I ran down the stairs to him. And I said, I want to know who God is. And I want to know where to find him. And so he told me, how to do that. And um, so that that was the beginning of um, my faith journey uh, that at that Christian camp. So it was well worth the money those dear people spent. And that was when you were 11? I was 11. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And two, two weeks later, I was hit by a truck. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why you're laughing. <laughs> you're like, being a Christian blows. <laughs> As you look back on it, yes, <laughs> it probably seems that way, and it really, truly it was. was just the way you said it. 
I accepted Jesus, and it was beautiful, and two weeks later, I was hit by a truck. (laughs) That is exactly what happened. Oh, man. Were you trying to meet Jesus or something? (laughs) I didn't have a clue about any of this journey and how to uh, walk through it, but it has been lengthy, let me Mm -hmm. tell you. Lots to learn. Yeah. So then kind of what happened after that point? Because you didn't really know anything about God mm-hmm. until that point. And even then, I would say that's a bare minimum that's right. uh, knowledge of mm-hmm. Jesus and the Trinity. But, yeah, what happened after that? During that growing up period, I had been in church. That Church was my place to be, and it still is pretty much, I think. So uh, I was in this youth group and in this church going faithfully. I, it was really—I was a good girl. That's— that's some, not even a misnomer. It's the truth. I didn't party and I didn't do those things that other uh, teenagers did, really. Uh, it wasn't something that interested me a great deal. It isn't that I didn't go to prom. I did, but um, it wasn't an absolute necessity for me, those those good things. So I finished well in high school and went on to a nursing school, as I told you, and uh, went there for three years, four years and graduated uh, with my RN um, with and having learned a great deal. I really did. I loved, loved learning. I loved clinicals. I loved everything about the nursing program. And um, as far as my faith journey was concerned there, they had Nurses for Christ. And so we did. Uh, I was there and involved with that, too. And so <laughs> tell me about your relationship with Jesus then as that, that grew and developed, I'm guessing, and mm-hmm. became richer. Mm-hmm. Oh. All of those things. Yes, all of those things that were true. And, and uh, I met some really great um, counselors in uh, school that were believers. And so we had Nurses for Christ there and we had uh, other organizations that we became a part of, that I became a part of. And, and so I those people that I developed those friendships with, I still have those friendships as minimal as they have become at my age. But um, my journey with the Lord has been um, stilted at times. You know, it doesn't, it didn't always grow as uh, richly as I would have liked, but there were extenuating circumstances. I think uh, I became um, engaged and married and uh, moved away from not not the Lord, not not the church, but just the opportunities to develop a deeper relationship with him. And so for a few years, that was true until I was able to move out of that slump in my life and uh, gain probably a more positive direction toward what the Lord had for me. And a part of that was when my children uh, were small, very small. I knew that they needed to be churched as mm-hmm. well as I needed to get back into more of, of the church life and our relationships with not only the Lord, but also with other believers so that I could grow. Yeah. So, so having, I was, I was, oh, I'm sorry. I was going to ask you kind of what brought you out of that slump and reoriented mm-hmm. you in the yeah. right way. What it was think? my children, I think, hmm. basically knowing that they needed more than what they were getting at home. They needed to be involved in a, a church a family, with a church family. And um, I think probably when they were three, about that age, I began moving in that direction more. It wasn't that we didn't go to church, but we didn't become as involved and as it wasn't as important until they became aware of, or I became aware for them, perhaps, of their need for the Lord, too. Mm. So the growth thing began again or just continued. Yeah. And it worked, obviously. My, <laughs> yes. my uncle is the head of a theology department at a big university, and my mom is still a faithful Christian and married to a pastor. <laughs> so, uh, yes. good Good work. <laughs> It really it was God's grace, let me tell you. Amazing grace it was, just mm-hmm. absolutely. His um, providence and care for us. He watched over us in so many ways. We would probably not be here if it was not for the Lord and his mighty hand um, yeah. su- sustaining us, watching us, protecting us, keeping us um, not only safe, but um, 
directed, I think. And the kids were willingly, I think, for the most part. <laughs> oh, that look. She just gave my mom a look. <laughs> a look. Willingly. <laughs> willingly directed, seriously. I'm too old for that look. They love church. <laughs> so you got yourself out of the slump, and how many, how many sins have you done since then? <laughs> you, just, you may just smile. And continue to smile because you know there is no co- accountability that I, the I have zero. to you. <laughs> <laughs> That's nuts. Zero <laughs> sins in like 50 years. No accountability to you. <laughs> <laughs> yes, um, but you're one of my blessings, Sonny. Oh. Yeah. So are you. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Say it back. <laughs> so your email address which i've known since i was a kid has always been assurance 46 46 because you were saved in 1946 That's but right. why is assurance such a big key thing for you uh, it really is uh when i was um, um saved in, at 11 i realized that I had found what I had been looking for, you know, God, first of all, that was really important to me. I didn't know anything really about him, but I, I had that understanding that now I knew that um, he was a part of my life. So as I grew through my journey in, as a believer, I knew more and more day by day, um, step by step, I knew that I was saved and that there was nothing that was going to change that. He has promised never to leave me or forsake me, and that's uh, the assurance that I have. And it just makes sense to uh, let the world know if they're interested in knowing why my email address Mm -hmm. is assurance. I'll be glad to tell them. Yeah. And now it's time for you to be pastoral. (laughs) If somebody came to you and they were like, Ginny slash Graham slash Garms slash Grandma slash Virginia slash Mrs. Eckle. I don't always feel assured of God's presence or my own salvation or I I feel far away from God. How would you counsel them? I haven't really studied on this, Ethan, but on the other side of that, if you become a believer, God's Holy Spirit lives within you. It's it's a, a fact and it's a an assurance that you have as a new believer in the salvation that the Lord Jesus has given you through his death and uh, resurrection, then God's Spirit has promised to be a part of this never leaving you or forsaking you. And uh, you need you need really to trust that, to believe it, to um, allow the peace that only he can bring into your life to circumvent the hard times and it's hard to say that and know that it's a truism until you experience it. Mm-hmm. So if you um, just uh, blow me off and um, move out of uh, my line of sight and uh, away from any conversation we might have, I would be praying for you that God's Spirit would truly just soften your heart and gentle you back into that place where you can rely on uh, what scripture has said to you Mm. that you're his and you're never he's never going to let you go so you're just kind of like trusting the promise even when it doesn't feel when you don't feel like that (laughs) yeah it's not about feelings yeah it's about the intelligent understanding that you have accepted the gift that god's given you and he's um he's just there for you and again as a triune god he gives you a part of himself when he he chooses you, and then uh, you accept the Lord as your Savior, mm-hmm. and um, he gives you this gift of his Spirit to live in you, to um, direct and guide you in all situations. But you mentioned um, the hard times. I did. Grams doesn't have headphones on, so she can't hear that. <laughs> what was that? Just some sound effects. The celestial. <laughs> really was it? <laughs> yeah. Gee. Is this going to be a dorky conversation? We're no. Having, do you think? No. Huh? I think it's great. Anything you want to add, Mommy? 
give us some <laughs> theological <laughs> theological thoughts. Weigh in. <laughs> this is dead time. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I think more questions for Grams would be a good idea. Do you have any to ask her? Jen wanted me to tell you in this uh, conversation that we're having together this evening about the time when uh, I was going through the depression with uh, the rest of my family. And because there were six little kids running around with no, my parents had no money. My dad was really sick. My mother was not well herself. And uh, we had no clothes that were other than raggedy, et cetera, et cetera. And we had holes in our, every one of our shoes. So when we went outside, as I was telling her, we would always stuff our shoes with newspapers first because the holes were so big. And, and we got, um, we would get a gravel in our shoes if we didn't do that. And we would just tear the shoes up more. So we always, you could always depend on um, newspapers and the newspapers in our shoes were unreadable by the time we got finished using them. But mm-hmm. um, that was also a big factor in that period of time. Yeah, that's crazy. <laughs> so you came from like the poorest of the poor in the Depression. Mm-hmm. I, I would think so, although I had heard that um, other families who were very large would give their children away to other family members that had no children or they would give them, uh, take them to an orphanage or something like that to be able better to um, keep the ones that they they could keep however many that would be. And that did not happen with my mom and dad. So, you know, that's grace in itself. They didn't even realize that that's what they were doing, but they were keeping us together. And I I know that it was hard for them, very, very hard for them. And yet they did it. And so for that, I'm, I am blessed. Yeah, definitely. Hmm. I have two more questions for you. Do you, Do you have any, any other ones, mommy? So, uh, We'll do a serious one, then end with a less serious one. So I asked you in the text messages when I s- said what to prepare for this, mm-hmm. your homework I gave you. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I sir. Said, yes. Uh, <laughs> uh, what, what have you been learning or what has God been teaching you in this season of your life? Mm-hmm. Probably, again, uh, a lesson, lessons in patience. Absolutely, patience is a, a phenomenal opportunity for me. I have not been patient. It's been really difficult for me to uh, overcome that uh, lack of patience. And yet I know that I've grown uh, in that direction. For those of the, those of you who know me, it probably may not seem that way, but I know that it's true. And the other piece of that is um, that things are not as important anymore. Uh, things or situations or trying to um, plan and make the plans a perfect plan, keeping order in my life. You know, I, I want uh, boundaries to be there, et cetera, but I don't think that those are the kinds of things that are as important as um, just relaxing and letting God direct life and let letting God have his way in, in, instead of having my hand on everything and yeah. making yeah. that important. Yeah. Yeah. That's like uh, this week at the nursing home, I was teaching about Abraham uh-huh. and how when God first gave him the promise, hey, you're going to be the father of great nations, mm-hmm. and he's childless. Do you remember how old Abraham was, or Abram at that point, mm-hmm. how old he was? Mm-hmm. Do you remember? A hundred. Was he a hundred? No, he was a hundred when he had Isaac. But when God first promised, oh, when him, he promised him, he would have a son in Genesis 12, and then 15, um, he was 75. So that means he had to wait 25 years uh-huh. before he had a son. And that's a long time to wait. Like if I was like, hey, Grams, I'm going to give you the best present ever and I'm going to bake you a cake and do all these things for you. You just got to wait 25 years mm-hmm. and then I'll do it. <laughs> <laughs> you know, but if I didn't tell you it would be 25 years, if I just said I would do it for you, mm-hmm. you know, by year four, you're like, okay, Ethan's not going to do that. Exactly. He forgot about what he it's said. sort of like that with your chores, honey, and your coupons. Uh-huh. Exactly like that. Grams, you just never use the coupons I give you <laughs> for a free chore or a free tattoo, <laughs> which I think you should use. <laughs> so what's your point here? My point is 
God didn't tell Abram how long it would take for his promise to come true. Mm-hmm. But, you know, like put yourself in Abraham's shoes when you're when you're 93 and you've been waiting for, what, 18 years by that point? Yeah, that, yeah 18 years, 19 years, 20 years. That's a long time to wait for an indefinite promise that this invisible God has made to you, mm-hmm. even though he did the whole covenant thing, cut the animals in half, blah, blah, blah. Like that 25 years is a long time to wait to have a kid. Like to start being a dad, (laughs) much less raise a kid and then see him become a whole nation of people, you know. So to your point, yeah, I forget what your original point was. was (laughs) There's something about being patient and God is good to his word, even if it doesn't seem like it. Because what 75-year-old, much less 100-year-old, is expecting to have a kid, Mm -hmm. you know. And is he capable? Right. And God said, sure, I said so. By human terms, no, not at all. <laughs> There's no 100-year-old that's popping kids out. But, mm-hmm. yeah. Anything to add to that, Mommy? <laughs> looking at me. <laughs> yeah, because um, you're here. <laughs> God said his oh, times were not our times. So those are the kinds of things we don't understand. Yeah. So okay. how much longer did Abraham live after the baby was born? Oh, that's a good question. Because Let me look that up. <laughs> it would be nice if he was around for a while. Yeah. Well, then there's the whole thing about him and almost sacrificing Isaac, you know, when he was a teenager. Oh, okay. Abraham was 175 years old when he died, according to Genesis 11. Yeah, so he has Isaac and then lives for 75 more years. So it's actually not that bad. (laughs) Pretty good deal. Okay, so now the other question. And you could think of one too, Mommy, from your own life. Uh, I asked Grams to prepare, what is the funniest story from your entire life? Did you, did you think of one? Well, my life has not been funny. I, it has not been um, filled with great joys uh, or something that would— um, Oh, thanks a lot. Would help. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's how I felt when I saw the question. And so the only thing that I would tell you is that when I was um, working with my dad at his camp, my children were small, so I, I was still fairly young— And um, there were a lot of guys there who were um, helping my father build his camp. It had been raining, and we were the uh, camp was built on a hill. So I came out one morning from um, living in this tent overnight, and I saw all these new people, new guys especially. And I didn't want to go out there looking unkempt, which was really important for me at the time to look my best, whatever my best could be. So I put on my newest things. Now, I'm I'm helping my dad build this camp in a, a muddy, rain-swept area that was also a hillish area. And uh, I walked out, waved to my dad as I was walking down the hill to greet him. And I, in my pride, I said to myself, you know, I look pretty good this morning, and I really wanted to do that for my dad and his friends. And immediately, my feet slipped out from under me, and I slid down in these nice, new, newish play clothes down the hill, all the way down the hill to the feet of my father, uh, covered with mud all the way from head to foot. Dang. And, uh, yeah, it was... It was um, the biggest lesson of my life in pride for pride. <laughs> I really, every time I think about it, I think about I think about pride, and that that story, that scenario comes to mind. That's not funny, but it is funny. <laughs> you said I'm never dressing nice ever again. <laughs> ever again. <laughs> yeah. Never going to walk You're in just the, wearing in rags. The yeah. <laughs> From now on, I'll be a lot smarter. <laughs> but I think you look. I think you dress nicely a lot of the time. <laughs> Thanks. That, that has nothing to do. Pride creeping up? <laughs> well, do I need to push you into the mud next time you dress too every nice? Time, every time you say something <laughs> like that, I think about that story. <laughs> say something like what? Um, oh, Grimms, you look nice. And I think about, like, yeah, Uh-oh. but... Uh, mud's coming. <laughs> yeah, the mud's coming. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay. We can laugh about it now. Well, that's good because it's funny and it's a little moral epithet. Exactly. So good job. Gee, thanks. <laughs> Mommy, did you think of one? A funny story? Yeah. I'm sure there are lots of funny stories, but um, the only one I can think about is Scotland. When, 
<laughs> three of us were in Scotland. <laughs> okay, but you have to remember, in my head, I knew as I was saying it, it wasn't the right word, but I needed to get a word out, so I just said it anyway. <laughs> well, so... Is that okay to say? Yeah. Do you want me to tell the story or do you want you to tell You can go ahead and tell well, <laughs> <laughs> it. Was, but in my head, I knew it wasn't the right word. Well, But it, in the moment, <laughs> I felt I had to get a word out as quick as possible. Got to say something. Yeah. We were, my mom, my brother, and I were all in Scotland together. And we were kind of traveling around. We went to uh, Edinburgh and Glasgow and the Highlands a little bit and castles. And this one morning in Edinburgh, we woke up at 3 a.m. to like kind of wander around the streets. We woke up at midnight. No, I thought it was like 3 or 4. <laughs> we woke That's up nuts. at 1.30. Something like that. Okay. But either way, the streets were empty. It's beautiful. And nobody was out in Edinburgh because we were out during the day and it was packed with people. And it was peaceful and calm. We wandered around the streets. And we ended up at this giant like structure on the coast and there's like a mountain beside us or like some big green hill kind of on the edge of the city overlooking the ocean and it was the, and, and the sun looked, was just coming up yeah and it looked like a roman columns or something that you were sitting on maybe yeah anyway there's some big structure anyway yeah yes. some big thing that looked really nice and it was such a nice moment <laughs> and we're all just kind of standing around soaking it in taking lots of pictures and my <laughs> do you want to say what you said <laughs> Go ahead. She goes, it's so urethral. <laughs> <laughs> and my brother and I just died laughing. And apparently she knew as she was saying it, it wasn't what? the right word. <laughs> but so funny. Yeah, because you meant ethereal, right? <laughs> I, I <laughs> Not did. Urethral. Not urethral, but that's just all that came out. <laughs> Got to get it out before the moment. I, I escapes. know before the sun rises. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, I do know the word. Well, now you do. <laughs> I knew it back then too. <laughs> anyway, if you don't know what urethral means, <laughs> Go Google it, it <laughs> on your parents' computer. <laughs> Anyway, yeah, it's kind of funny. And then I have a, I have a f- quick funny story about Grams, real quick, or two really. Oh, good. Um, but the first one was uh, when I was a kid, and Star Wars was big, and the the prequels were coming out, episodes one, two, and three. <laughs> and this is when you would fight the yeah. I was Jedi's all about- in the in the shower. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think that ever happened. I think you're misremembering things. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I never saw you like. Hours. <laughs> anyway. I was big into Star Wars growing up. And so we got Grams to go see one of them in the theater. <laughs> and we go watch it. And she goes, you know, this is the first Star Wars movie I've ever seen. And, uh, you know, we're like, okay, cool, whatever. And then a couple years later, take her to see the next one that comes out. We walk out of the theater afterward. And she goes, you know, this is the first Star Wars movie I've ever seen. <laughs> So true. Yeah. Really well, I'll I'll watch made. another one with you, and then afterward you can say it's the first Star Wars movie you've yeah, ever seen. You can tell they really made an impression. <laughs> Dang. Hopefully George Lucas doesn't listen to this. <laughs> oh man. And the other one was um, it was more of a joke I made, but the other day I picked Grams up um, while she was sitting in a chair. And uh, <laughs> my mom said, I have the video, but uh, she's like, you know, you, uh, she said, you didn't pick her up very high. And I was like, yeah, you know, I'm, I'm used to lifting pounds, not grams. <laughs> <laughs> that, um, is, that is funny. <laughs> I'm glad you approve. It was pretty quick. It was, it was on the spot. Quick wit, yep. Yeah, um, Good one. So apparently those are all the funny things that have ever happened to you yep, in your no. entire life. <laughs> I know. Because you is. haven't had a funny life. <laughs> I have not had a funny life, no. It's been anything but. Yes, but it gets funnier the longer you hang around. The longer I hang around with people. Ethan. Yeah, I feel like you laugh a lot kids. when you're with us at I dinner. Do. I do. And stuff. We have a good time. Yeah. I think we call them blessings. Yeah. Yeah. Anything else you guys want to talk about? <laughs> 
Oh, should we wrap it up there? <laughs> I think let's wrap it up. Good idea. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you both for being on here. Jan slash mommy slash. It's weird to say Jan. I never say Jan. You better not. Yeah. That's weird. Again. Yeah. Mommy, no. mommy on the pod and uh, <laughs> Garms on the pod. Do you have any parting words of wisdom for people? <laughs> thank you for having us, honey. And um, it's been much easier than I thought. Yeah, see, it wasn't that bad. It wasn't that bad, but I'm really grateful for the opportunity to share my uh, faith. Yeah, I'm sure it'll be helpful for a lot of people who listen to it. Anything else you want to say as final words? (laughs) Yes, thanks for having us. You make it very easy. (laughs) What are you laughing at? Yeah, I didn't know I was doing this until like an hour ago. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, I didn't get the script. Yeah, it was kind of a spontaneous change with Anna going into labor, which is exciting. Mm -hmm. Um, So shout out to Tucker and her. Hopefully that goes smoothly. And shout out to Annie and Mark, our producer and editor. And Jules and Krista, who aren't with us today, but normally take all the videos for you guys. So I'm Ethan Renault. This has been Attractive Christians. Thanks for listening. Love you. Bye. Bye.